Look around you this morning. Look at the faces. Um, when you look at the faces, you recognize they're not just bodies. They're souls. They're souls that matter. We all are. And when we look around each other in our room, we have a lot of things in common. There are a lot of uh, a lot of things about us that um, you know. There's uh, we live in the same community. We we're here in the same church this morning. Some of us are bulldogs. Some of us are rebels. Some of us are crazy. Some of us are crazier. And um, we, we have so much in common. But the reality of of our lives is this: we have so many things that are different about us. We all are experiencing life from a different perspective. Although it may look, look similar in some ways, there are, there are things about our lives that are, are very different. Um, as a matter of fact, most of those differences are things that we keep inside. We tuck deep in the recesses of our lives and we don't want anybody to know about them. We don't want, we don't want all of our... Uh, our information put out there because it may be embarrassing or it may make us look weak or it may make us look like, um, you know, that, that we are just really struggling through life. And the reality is sometimes we do. We struggle through life. And there's nothing wrong with a struggle when we give it to Jesus. Now, I ask you a question this morning. Are you a... Um, <laughs> Are you a, a optimist or a pessimist? Are you a glass half full or a glass half empty type of person? You walk around all the time with doom and gloom. Well, some of you look that way if you don't. Or do you do you look at life with a sense of hope and a sense of uh, of, of peace, as as Corey mentioned? You know, we live in a society where if you turn on the news or you look at Facebook or you look at Twitter, there are a lot of things we see that, that can be very discouraging. But in a lot of ways, we can keep those things at arm's length. And, and yet in our lives, we deal day to day with things that could make us go one way or the other. other. We could go... Uh, toward the pessimist side and think that life is just horrible and awful or, or we, can, we can really experience life and go, man, this is great. I was thinking about the Gospel earlier as we sang. You, you think about the Gospel. Christ came knowing that our deepest need was not political, economic, social. Um, it wasn't um, to have more fun and, and a lot more entertainment. Our deepest need was, was that we, because of sin in our lives, were separated by God. Condemned. Condemned. And yet, Galatians chapter 4 says that in the fullness of time, at just the right time, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin, born of a woman, to live among us. This life, the supreme example of life, this perfect, sinless life, experiencing temptation just like you and just like me, 
experiencing heartache just like you and just like me, experiencing opposition just like you and just like me, and living for 33 years in the thick of this mess so that he could lay his life down on the cross, so that he could pay a debt he did not owe, so that we could be free of a debt we could never, ever pay. And they placed him in that borrowed tomb. And three days later, he rose again. Isn't that incredible news? You talk about victory. Okay? Uh, we, we sing songs that, that reference the, the victory that, that Satan must have felt when Christ died on the cross. But in the instant that tomb uh, was shaken and that door exploded, Exploded away. I know it rolled away, but I'm going to say exploded because that's a more exciting word, right? The, the, the moment that door was, was removed and Jesus walked forth, that is the ultimate victory over death. But it's not just something that happens for Him. It's something that has detail. It has meaning. It has purpose in our lives today because Jesus preaches, He teaches, He calls us to the resurrection life that He gives. Because He has conquered death, you and I can conquer death in Him. Jesus said I, He came not just for, for the eternal gift of life, but that while we're here on this earth, uh, He says, John chapter 10, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That is that there's this, this victorious life that Christ has for us, paid for at the cross, demonstrated in all its glory on, on resurrection day, and offered to us who by faith will believe and trust in Him. Yeah, my question, I think, why do so many Christians today just survive? in their faith and not thrive in this life Christ has for us? Why do we settle for powerlessness and mundane living when Christ has given us victory for living? Why aren't more people experiencing God's power in their everyday lives and the purpose He has for them? How can we rise above the norm and live in a powerful, victorious life that Christ offers. I want us to look in Numbers 13 this morning. That episode in the life of God's people to think about how you and I can live in victory. How can we live in victory? And what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through the text quickly, try to quickly, and then I want to give you three points of truth that I believe are pertinent or are so important for us to understand today. So, Numbers chapter 13, read with me verse 1. The Lord, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I have given to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Here's God's command to Moses. Moses, I want you to go get twelve. Twelve men, the leaders of e a leader from each tribe. And I want you to bring them together and I want you to send them out. They're going to go into the land of Canaan. Uh, look, the land of Canaan is the land that, that God showed Moses, or, I mean Abraham, 
when, when he and Lot went to pick out land, he said, look at this land. Every bit of it shall be yours. And so they, they've come to this point 400 plus years later. Uh, Moses has led them out of, of Egyptian bondage, out of slavery. And they come to the, to the edge of the land. And God says, Moses, I want you to send 12 men into the land to spy out the land. So Moses does what he was supposed to do. Read verse 3 with me. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now, I'm not going to read that long list of names to you. I encourage you to read them later, memorize them, because you might need them. No, not really. There are two names that you need to really pay attention to. Number one is Caleb, and number two is Joshua, because they play, uh, they play a huge part in God's story uh, for, for years to come. So we come to verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So, so here's the command. Moses sends them out. He gives them this checklist. I want you to tell me what's the land like. Um, what are the people like? Is the land good? Are the cities fortified? Is the land good for crops? Uh, there's something important there, I'm sure. Uh, it's mentioned over and over again. Are there forests there? And, and the last thing is not a question. It's a, it's a request. Bring some of the fruit. Let us see what the fruit's like. And so verse, uh, verse 21. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, uh, near the entrance of Hamath, and they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ahaman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Uh, now Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eskel, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between the two of them on a pole, and they also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eskel because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 years. They did exactly what they were told. Okay, they, they went in, they went the route Moses told them, and they did what they were told. Uh, verse 26, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. At Kadesh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They told him, uh, then they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The, um, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So, so here's their initial report. They come back, they're, they're speaking not just to Moses, not just to Aaron, but to the whole congregation of people, and they begin to tell them, the land is beautiful. It's a good land. As a matter of fact, it's not just a good land that's good for produce. Look at this cluster of grapes. Look at it. It was a cluster of grapes so large that it took two men to carry it between them. I want to tell you, they could have named that place Pontotoc. They could have. Land of the hanging grapes. By the way, where is that in Pontotoc? That doesn't matter. Um, 
that doesn't matter. Uh, it was great for production. And then they, they throw in this huge little word, but. The land is great, but the people are numerous and they are strong. The cities are huge and they are strong. They're fortified. The, the giants are there. When it references Anak, it's talking about the Nephilim from Genesis chapter 6. These are the giants uh, of the land that, that led uh, people astray. They are there. And, and then he names all of these people, the Amalekites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, uh, all these groups that would one day soon become the, um, the biggest enemies Israel ever had. Well, it looks good, Moses, but, but there's a problem. I love that in the midst of this problem, there's this huge interjection from a little guy named Caleb. Caleb, in verse 30, steps up. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let's go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb and Joshua. Now, Joshua's not named here, but we know that Joshua was on Caleb's side. Of the twelve spies, these two came with a, a report that, that said the land is beautiful and the people are big, but they're nothing compared to our God. Amen? Well, that's, that, that, that's their conclusion. We can do it because God is on our side. Verse 31, uh, the, the, the people, the spies, go against them. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we, so we were in their sight. What's their report? Caleb, you're nuts. They're big, they're strong, and we are nothing but bugs before them. They'll smush us if we go in there. Verse 1 of chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select the leader and return the decision is made the decision is made oh they begin to whine and complain sobbing heard throughout the camp all night long woe is me woe is me woe is me we had it good in Egypt at least we had meat there we had it good in Egypt at least we weren't worried about dying there we had it good in Egypt hey why don't we just go back to Egypt before we do it, let's get us a leader, a new leader, that will take us there. What do they do? They decide, on the basis of this report, victory is not there. 
Can I tell you this morning, if we don't believe there is victory for us in any circumstance throughout our lives, we will never encounter the victory of the Lord in our lives. If we read on in chapter 14, we're not going to do that this morning. Let me just summarize. The Lord gets mad. I don't blame him. Moses and Aaron, they fall on their faces before the Lord and they cry out to him. And this was the Lord's decision. Of all the people of the land of Egypt, I mean Israel, of all the people of the land of Israel, everyone age 20 and above, everyone age 20 and above would die in the wilderness. Except Moses at this point, Moses messes that up later. Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that stood on God's side in this situation. The rest never entered the promised land. Now, how can you and I learn from their mistakes and walk in victory? Number one is this. We need to know the promises of God. If you look back at, at 13, verse 2, listen to the command. Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. This is a promise the Lord has made already to Abraham. And when, when Isaac grew up, God took Isaac there and reaffirmed the promise to Isaac and reaffirmed the promise to Jacob. God had stated this promise over and over and over again. And even in the command through Moses, he said, I am giving this land. What do they do? They forgot all about the promise. I know the reason Caleb stood and said, we, we need to go in there now because we can overtake them. It's because Caleb was not standing on his ability or Joshua's ability or anybody else's ability other than the one true and living God. He knew God had said, this is a promise and therefore we can take it. You and I, if we're going to live in the victory of the Lord, we've got to know the promises of God. Whatever our situation, whatever the, the, the need that we face in our lives, we can hear the promises of God. Some of you in here this morning are struggling in a financial need. Financially, you are, you're having a hard time uh, making ends meet from, from one month to another. And so you, you look at your checkbook and you look at, uh, you, you look at the, the cash you have and you, you see what's left of the month and you go, Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? Listen to the promise of God. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. That's a scriptural promise. That's something that you and I can rely on. And know that if we are faithful, if we are walking with Him, He will meet our needs. That's a good word. Well, if we're gonna if we're gonna walk in victory, we've got to know the promises of God. Where do the promises of God come from? Talk to me. From the word. I heard a bunch of whispers, but I only heard one say boldly the word. From the word. From the word of God. 
That's where we find the promises of God. When we hear the Word of God, whether that's in a Sunday school class or whether that's in a worship service or whether it's on our iPod or iPhone or on the radio going down the road, we hear the Word of God. We can hear and know the promises of God. There's no greater way uh, than to read the Word. Reading the Word. To, to take what God has given us as, as His Word and to, to, to spend time in it and, and hear from Him and know that what He says here is truth and what He says here is strong uh, in, in its impact and influence on our lives. So we read His Word. We remember His Word. We remember His Word. We take time to take notes of Him in His Word. We, we need to remember the person of God you know, a promise is only as good as the person who offers it, right? How many of you believe a promise is made to be broken? Y'all ever heard that? How many of you live like that? I give you my word, but my word only lasts as long as I can remember it. Well, that's not the case with God. Because when God lays a promise down, He is perfect. He is holy, and He will complete it just as He said. Because He is a good and gracious God. He's greater. <laughs> Not only does He promise it, he can, he can fulfill it. Even when we think the, the end is coming, even when we can't see the, the end, or, or we get caught up uh, in, in all the trees, we need to remember that God is greater, and He can answer. He will meet those promises. Why is it that we so often forget how big God is? Why is it we forget that when life throws us a curveball? Or that mountain in front of us is huge. We remember the promiser. We remember the one who gives the promise, but we remember the promise of His presence. We sang about His presence. Abide with me. Abide with me. Scripture says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is a promise of God Almighty to His people. So regardless of where you are today, regardless of what you've gone through, regardless of what you are in today, you can live in victory knowing that God is right there. Never left your side. Amen? You can recognize the power. You know, God doesn't call us to live only according to what we can do, does He? That, would re- that wouldn't require faith. And so when we begin to step out in Him, that, that is, a, that is a, uh, a requirement of faith. And, and so He promises power, power to heal. Power to heal. I've heard those diagnoses that are beyond our control. God is powerful to heal. Well, he, he's power to... Uh, to perform what, what He calls you to. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We, we quote that and we say, I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all things. And, and sometimes we approach it without the mind to say, in Him who strengthens me. We can know the promises of God. And if we're going to live in victory, folks, I want to encourage you today, challenge you today, to build your life on the promises of God. that are found in the Word of God. Because if you don't have a solid foundation, you will not stand when the wind blows and the storms come. 
build your life on the solid foundation of the promises of the Word of God. Second thing I would say to you, if you know the promises of God, second thing is this, you face your fears head on. Y'all hear their list of fears? Man, that, the people are big, the cities are big, the walls are thick. I mean, you think about this. One of the cities they saw was Jericho. Jericho was one of the most fortified cities ever. It, it was massive walls, thick walls. And yet you get to Joshua chapter 7, and you read that when they came to the city of Jericho, what did God tell them to do? Just march around it. Just march around it seven times. March around it once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, go around seven times. When you get through with that seventh time, blow your horn, give a shout. What happens? Well, it probably didn't go blue. Archaeologists say that the walls of Jericho did not fall in. They did not fall out. They fell straight down in on themselves because God tore the walls down. They couldn't see that because they were so consumed with their fears. They were, oh, they were overwhelmed by their fears. They had this long list of fears. And because of that, they decided we will not go into the land. Listen, we've got a list of fears. We're scared to death of a failure. What if I get into this? What if I begin to follow the Lord and all of a sudden I don't, I don't succeed or I fail or I, I, I experience rejection? It doesn't matter. What, what you're afraid of. Listen, when you're following the Lord, you may face some hiccups, you may face some troubles, some holes along the way, but when you stay faithful to the Lord, you can know that you will come out on the other side, not a failure, but victorious in Jesus. Victorious in Jesus. Oh, uh, we have a fear of, uh, we have a fear of losing control. <laughs> That's, we have a fear of authority in our society today. We're scared to let someone else have an authority in our lives. When the Lord calls us to surrender to Him. And so we think, if, if I give my life to the Lord, if I, if I just give Him everything, then, then I'm, I'm out of control. I'm out of control. Folks, when we're out of control, because we're in God's control, that's the best place to be. Because He'll do far more than you could ever do. And I could ever do in control. We're, we're afraid of change. How many Baptists does it take to change the light bulb? Change? That's a joke, by the way. Takes one around here, and he doesn't want anybody else watching him when he changes it. He does a good job. Fear of change. We like it comfortable. Look, that, I am that way. I like my routine. And when I get out of routine, what happens? Oh, I don't know if I'll get it done. But I do. Because the Lord always comes through. Fear of responsibility. Here's a huge one today. We're afraid of responsibility. We don't want to sign up for this or, or that. We don't want to give ourselves to this or that. Because all of a sudden, we become responsible. And if we're responsible and it doesn't go through, it doesn't succeed as planned, we are to blame. Again, if we're walking with the Lord and He chooses to give us responsibility and we continue walking with the Lord and we will see Him carry through what He begins. We fear of, we have a fear of being different. We don't want to stick out. We want to be accepted. We don't want to be fanatical. Although we are fanatical about a lot of those things. 
so we have these fears. Yet, this is what Scripture says. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, God's not given us the spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of might and of a sound mind. No no caving into fear. So how in the world are we going to face our fears? we, we got to acknowledge they're there. Okay, no, guys, we cannot say, I ain't scared of nothing. We can't face uh, this life. We can't walk victorious if we can't acknowledge that there are some things we are a little bit uh, afraid to step into. Okay, so whatever that fear is, uh, whether it's failure, losing control, change, responsibility, uh, look, whatever that fear is, we've got to acknowledge it's there, recognize what they are, and move forward. We've got to remember God's promises. God's promises, listen, God's promises must outweigh our fears. You understand that? God's promises should outweigh the fear in our lives. We need to believe in God's possibilities. We need to believe in God's possibilities. That's hope that what He's going to work out is bigger and better than anything we could ever settle for by doing what these Israelites did. We need to take one step at a time. We, we acknowledge our fears. We remember God's promises. We believe God's possibilities. What do we do? We take one step forward. And then when we take that step forward and we see God move, we take the next step and the next step and the next step. And guess what happens? God shows up. God shows up. And we resolve in our hearts that quitting is never an option. Quitting is never an option when we're walking with the Lord. Well, they didn't, they didn't have any, any part of that, did they? They quit real quick. They quit. They quit quick. So we know God's promises. We face our fears head on with courage as we don't cave into them. We, we, we walk forward in the midst of our fears. The third thing is this. We'll reap the rewards. We'll reap the rewards of a victorious life, both in eternity but also now. Now. I don't want to just survive this life. I want to thrive in it. I want to thrive and I want to thrive through this life. You see, the, the, here in this context, these fearful quitters, they all died in the wilderness. But those faithful followers, Caleb and Joshua, they entered the promised land and enjoyed its bounty. They enjoyed its reward. Here's what, ha- here's what happens when we know God's promises and we face God's fears and we live we live through it. Todd referenced this earlier. Todd, you read my notes today? No. So, Todd referenced this earlier. When we are faithful in walking forward with the Lord, we can know that God will show up. And y'all know what happens when God shows up? God shows out. God shows out. Because He's not bound to our space and time. He's not bound to our ability or inability. When God shows up, He shows out. I've already referenced Joshua. You can see this if you read the book of Joshua. I encourage you to read the book of Joshua. It's an incredible book, an incredible display of God's power. 
when when God when they walked into the land, listen, the people of Israel walked into the land like they owned the place. Why? Because they did. It was theirs by God's promise. When God shows up, our faith is made stronger. When God shows up, our zeal, our zeal becomes greater. That is, we're excited about what God wants to do. We're passionate about what God wants to do. And we're going to be faithful because of what we've seen Him do. Our obedience becomes bold. Why? Because when God shows up, there is no mountain high enough. There is no valley deep enough. There is nothing that will stand in our way of what God wants to do in our lives when we choose to walk in victory with Him. Let me ask you, how many of you this morning want to experience the Lord and His victory in your day-to-day life? Not just on Sunday morning, but in your day-to-day, in your Monday, in your Tuesday. How many of you want to experience God's victory? Oh, thank you, sir. My fear is this, that that many of us don't really care about God's victory because we're coasting right along. I mean, God has to do something to get us off our feet, to get us down, to get our attention. We don't have to let it go that far. We can begin today by choosing to walk in the victory Christ has for us. Walk in God's promises. Face your fears with courage. Reap the rewards of God's power in your life. Starts today. Lost person, listen to me this morning. I don't know you by name. I don't know by name who you are. But there are some in this room that if you stood before God today and He asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? You don't have an answer for that. Or maybe your answer is, well, I followed ABCs or I went to church and I was baptized as a child or I was a member at Friendship Baptist Church or whatever other church you want to name. Or, Look, I don't believe God's going to ask us that question. I really don't. Because the Bible says the determining factor is whether our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Whether by God's grace you've received Him and He has written your name down or not. Don't wait on God to ask you a question because there's no bartering, there's no arguing, there's no... You've passed the point of getting in. But today, you can be saved. I've already told you the gospel that Christ paid the penalty of your sins on the cross. He was buried. And three days later, He rose again and He invites you to trust Him. He invites you to be saved, to be cleansed. Would you today believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross? Would you believe what He's done and His offer to you? Would you repent of your sins? Not one, not two, but all of them. 
That means turn away from them. I don't want them anymore. What's more important to me today is not the sin that I've been in, but it's following Jesus. Would you repent and believe what He's done? Be saved today. Maybe you would pray something like this. I don't do this very often, but maybe this would help you. Maybe you would pray, God, I acknowledge sin in my life. I recognize that that sin separates me from you, but I know Jesus died for me. And I know that He will save me if I turn to Him. Lord, I repent of my sins. I turn from them. I believe in what Christ has done. And right here, right now, I give my life to You. Would You save me? Listen, if you prayed something like that today and you mean it from the bottom of your heart, I believe the Lord is faithful. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Faithful to answer that. Maybe you say, I didn't get all that. Look, the sweetest prayer I ever heard came from a seven-year-old child who wanted to be saved. I said, do you want me to lead you in a prayer? She said, no, I can handle it. This is what she prayed. She said, Jesus, please save me. That's it. And with all my heart, I believe that child, that moment, not in the prayer. It's in the heart. It says, I need you, Jesus. Please rescue me. Christian, you want to start living in victory? You need to begin by repenting of all known sin. Repentance is not something we do one time at salvation. Repentance is a habit for the one that's in Christ. Because we all fail, we all fall, and we must all repent and turn back to Jesus. Would you repent of your sin, Christian? And once again, surrender your life to Christ today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege today to open your word. God, I thank you for how your word speaks in our lives. Lord, there's some in this room this morning that, that are lost without You. They have a form of faith, a form of, of belief. But they've never trusted You with their life. God, I pray right now they'd turn to You, they'd believe the Gospel, they'd repent of all sins, They'd be saved. Father, for Christians, Father, I pray that You would stir us from our sleep. I pray that You would awaken us to something greater than just existing or surviving. I pray that the desire of our heart would be to, would be to thrive in following You. Father, today I pray in this invitation time that You would give every one of us boldness. run to you, to declare publicly our faith 
and walk with you. Father, move in our midst in this time of decision. In Jesus' name.